awesome time of worship this morning. I want to welcome you for being here on site with us today. And if you're watching us online today, uh, thank you. You're welcome to be with us. But I got to tell you, it's better to be here. So we continue to encourage those who are watching online to come and share in what God's doing on site here. You're in for a treat today. You get to listen to somebody besides me, and that's when you're not supposed to applaud, okay? You wait later for that part. You get to hear my one of my spiritual mentors speak today, Bob Russell, a man I've looked up to, listened to, been sitting under his teaching for quite a few years now, and uh, I have great respect for him. I had an opportunity to be here in the first service, and I can tell you you're in for a treat Bob is the retired minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. He is greatly respected, uh, not just uh, here in Kentucky, but around the United States and even the world. And what a privilege it is for us to have him with us at Nineveh. Would you welcome Bob Russell today? Thank you. Thank you very much, Terry. If you're Terry, Terry's mentor, you got to be old. And uh, I heard the other day about an older lady who called the landlord or the condo and said, would you come over here and help me? I'm trying to put this puzzle together, and I can't make hide nor hair out of it. It is driving me insane. He said, well, just tell me about it over the phone. She said, well, uh, there's a picture of a rooster on the box, and I've got all the pieces out, but I just can't see anything fitting together. He said, well, I'll come over and look at it. And he went over to his, her condo and looked at it and said, ma'am, let's, uh, let's put the cornflakes back in the box. <laughs> you do some strange things when you get old, you know. I appreciate Nineveh Christian Church not just for your impressive size in this community, but for the courageous stand that this church has taken over the years for God's truth. And your leaders and your preacher have taken an uncompromising stand on God's word at a time when it is not popular to do so. And maybe that's one of the reasons, I'm confident that's one of the reasons that God is blessing this church. And I want to encourage you today to continue to stand for truth regardless of how much it goes against the grain of popular culture. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon wrote a familiar passage that begins, there's a time and a season for everything under the sun. And then verse 7 says, there is a time to speak and a time to be silent. Well, I want to suggest to you that this is a time for us as a church to stand up and speak truthfully and boldly in our culture. Fifty years ago, Dr. Carl Menninger wrote a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin? Today, somebody needs to write a book, Whatever Became of Common Sense? Some of the most wacky ideas imaginable are being promoted by cultural elites who consider themselves advanced in social awareness. For example, defund the police. Censor Dr. Seuss. Destroy an eagle's egg and be fine, but kill an unborn child with no penalty. Permit males who identify as females to compete in women's sports. Require a photo ID to get on an airplane, but not to vote in a presidential election. 
Give hormone shots to a six-year-old who wants to transgender. Cancel the sponsorship of a golfer who mutters a homophobic slur at himself, but overlook the golfer who spews out profanity against God. Insist that Oral Roberts University be banned from the NCAA tournament because the Christian school advocates biblical morality. And the latest is, pay people for not working and then wonder why we have a shortage of workers. The list of bizarre ideas goes on and on. Caitlyn Jenner announced a candidacy for the governorship of California this past week. The fact that Jenner is taken seriously is a commentary on our age. But on April 24, 2015, Bruce Jenner announced in an interview with ABC's Diane Sawyer that he was transitioning to become a woman. And he informed her he was not having radical surgery, but he was going to dress like and act like a female. But he admitted that he still had an attraction for women. And in one of the most goofy questions ever asked on TV, Diane Sawyer asked him, does that mean you're a lesbian then? <laughs> Folks, what in the world is happening to us? Sensible human beings with very little formal education instinctively recognize the idiocy of all this. Now, how do we get here? How do we completely lose common sense? Well, the first chapter of the book of Romans identifies the primary source of the problem, and that is we've expelled God from the public arena. Here's what Romans 1, 21 and 22 says. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, and their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools." God is the source of truth. His word is the source of wisdom. And when a culture decides it no longer needs God, it's not long before all spiritual perception is lost and good and evil are reversed and darkness is preferable to light. Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The Russian novelist Dostoevsky said, if there is no God, then anything goes. King David wrote in Psalm 10:4, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's just no room for God. You see, we arrogantly think that we're so intellectually sophisticated that we can no longer worship a creator. We're sophisticated and enlightened to the point where we no longer believe the Bible. So sin is no longer sin. A boy is not really a boy. And eagle's egg is more valuable than an unborn child. And just maybe two plus two doesn't equal four anymore. Thinking ourselves to be wise, we become fools. You know, another contributing factor to our idiocy is we have ignored the lessons of history. Even people who don't know God gain some degree of spiritual wisdom just by studying the experiences of those who have gone on before him. Uh, that is why the FAA goes to great lengths to investigate plane crashes. They spend thousands of hours 
hours, millions of dollars to find out what caused this plane crash so that if it's wind shear or mechanical failure, we can correct it in the future and travel will be safer. That is why God established memorials in the Old Testament. He said, now you take 12 stones and pile them up here along the Jordan River so that years later when your children see the monument and they ask, what's the meaning of this monument? You can tell them what happened in the past when God stopped up the Jordan River and they were able to go, on, go across on the other side. Well, that's why 1 Corinthians 10 talks about the wandering in the wilderness and says, these things were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages comes, so that if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. There is invaluable wisdom to be gained from studying history. Our children need to learn, why did Israel fall? Why did Rome fall? Why does socialism fail in the Soviet Union and Venezuela and almost every place that it's been tried? Why did our forefathers make the mistake of condoning slavery? And who initiated its abolition? How many people were lives were lost in the Civil War? But now, a study of history is considered passe, or we're rewriting history to meet our own narrative. Noted author and historian David McCulloch lamented, we are raising a generation of young Americans who are, by and large, historically illiterate. You see, in our pride, we imagine that we are so much more enlightened than the people of yesterday. Therefore, history has nothing to teach us. C.S. Lewis referred to this attitude as chronological snobbery. Dr. Richard Cherrick, professor of history at Ozark Christian, wrote, chronological snobbery engenders within society the impression that those in the past are morally inferior to people in the present. And he points out, as a result, we vilify the national heroes, we slander historical figures, and we tear down educational monuments to express moral indignation toward all those who have gone on before, and thinking ourselves to be wise, we become fools. But another huge contributing factor to the loss of common sense is the inexcusable silence of otherwise sensible leaders. This is where we come in. Edwin, Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. 1 Corinthians 14, 8 says, if the trumpet doesn't give a clear sound, who will get ready for battle? If the leaders don't make the correct sound and noise, then the army isn't ready to go forth into battle. Now, I read this past week that James Carville, the Democratic strategist, admitted wokeness is a problem. And we all know it, including lots of people in the Democratic Party, but they don't say it out loud or they'll get clobbered, they'll get canceled. So people are afraid to speak up, even some on the left when they know we've completely lost common sense because they'll get shouted down or they get terminated from their job or they'll get ridiculed. A popular Christian blogger suggested to preachers, you should never preach on any political issue because it's such a turnoff to millennials. And if you talk about controversial cultural and political issues from the pulpit, you will lose an opportunity for evangelism. Now that may sound good, 
Because after all, our ultimate hope isn't in politics, it's in Jesus Christ. But the problem is that politics is now encroaching on many spiritual issues. You think of all the biblical issues that are also political issues. Right to life. The very structure of the family. Gay marriage, divorce, cohabitation, sexual harassment, gender identity. Creationism. Racism. Religious freedom. Proper care for the poor and the alien. Women's rights. So many pertinent topics are both civil and biblical matters. And it is my conviction that to remain silent on those controversial issues abdicates our responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. It fails to disciple our youth, and it yields critical territory to Satan and his gross spiritual malpractice. We have to speak up. The trumpet has to give a certain sound. There's a passage in the book of Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter, that scares the heebie-jeebies out of me. Should scare the heebie-jeebies, whatever that is, scare tar out of you too. Here's what it says. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That wicked person will die for their sin and I'll hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. So we are commanded to speak the truth in love regardless of the results. If you see a driver driving the wrong way up an exit ramp, it's a sin for you not to blare your horn. The most loving thing you can do is to warn them. That's why the Old Testament prophets sounded a clear warning and spoke truth to power. Elijah was called my enemy by King Ahab because Elijah said there's only one God and it's not Baal. John the Baptist didn't hesitate to speak out against King Herod's cohabitating with his brother Philip's wife, even though it cost him his freedom and eventually his head. Jesus didn't hesitate to speak out against the Pharisees who were imposing unrealistic standards on people. Now, theologian N.T. Wright points out the Pharisees weren't just the religious leaders. They were also political leaders because they had the power to arrest. They had the power to incarcerate. They had the power, in Jesus' case, to even arrange his death. But Jesus called them out for being hypocrites and whitewashed tombs and blind guides and, and fools. In the book of 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, Paul writes this to his understudy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his, his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. We're living in out of season time. Correct and sometimes rebuke. And encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when men and women will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I can't read that without remembering an interview that a popular megachurch TV preacher had with Oprah Winfrey a while back. And Oprah Winfrey asked him, do you believe that there is only one way to God? And this preacher smiled and said, well, Oprah, you know the Bible does say that 
the only way to God is through Jesus. But then he said, you know what, Oprah? I believe there are many ways to Jesus. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But we find crafty ways to distort the truth so that we can scratch itching ears. And Paul goes on to say, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure the hardship that comes with that. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. You see, folks, uh, we are at war. Not at war with uh, Hollywood entertainers or media pundits or politicians, but we are at war with the spiritual philosophy of this age that is dragging people into hell. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is generally regarded as a 20th century hero because he opposed the policies of Adolf Hitler. And the cost of Bonhoeffer's discipleship was his own life. Conversely, German church leaders who bent over backward to accommodate Hitler's policies are now considered cowards because they remain silent in the face of atrocious evil. Dr. Albert Muller, the president of Southern Baptist Seminary, recently authored a challenging book entitled, We Cannot Be Silent. Speaking the truth to a culture redefining sex, marriage, and the very meaning of right and wrong. Our culture, under the prince of this, of darkness, the prince of this age, is trying to redefine right and wrong and the family and morality. And so we are at war with the philosophy of this age. This is what Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 10 three to five. He said, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we're in a war of ideas. That's why we have to speak up and speak the truth in love. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians when he said our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against people. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Against the spiritual forces of evil even in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. That's why I'm commending this church. You stood firm on these biblical truths, regardless of the attacks that come to you from the world. Francis Schaeffer said, it's not too strong to say that we're at war and there are no neutral parties in the struggle. One either confesses that God is the final authority or one confesses that Caesar is Lord. If you question what's going to happen if we continue to buy in to the lunacy of this age, just look at Great Britain. There are a few years ahead of us in progressivism. A lot of examples, but World Magazine recently reported that Dr. David Mackerath lost his practice, medical practice in Great Britain, because he refused to use the politically correct transgender pronouns. The United Kingdom's Employment Tribunal 
concluded that the doctor's biblical beliefs on human sexuality disqualified him from practicing medicine in Great Britain. The tribunal ruled Dr. Macris' beliefs are not worthy of respect in a democratic society. Ideas matter. False ideas begin to impact everybody. The consequence of a silent church are evident in Canada, where many preachers now are forbidden to say publicly what the Bible says about sexual identity. The church in some places cannot try to convert people of other religions because that's proselyting. In Canada, James Coates of Grace Life Church was put in jail for 35 days for his refusal to shut his church down during COVID. Now, last spring, Attorney General, U.S. Attorney General William Barr delivered a powerful speech at Notre Dame on the subject of eroding religious freedoms in America. And he argued that the secularists are now attacking the moral order that is the foundation of our liberty and threatening religious freedom in pursuit of their cause. I want you to look at what the Attorney General of the United States said. He said, we're not talking about decay. This is organized destruction. Secularists and their allies have marshaled all the forces of mass communication, popular culture, the entertainment industry, and academia in an unremitting assault on religion and traditional values. The threat is not that the government will establish a state religion. The threat is that the state will attack people for conscientiously practicing their own religion. The problem is not that religion is being forced on others. The problem is that irreligion is being forced. Secular values are being forced on people of faith. Now listen to me. If the Attorney General of the United States, a politician, a Roman Catholic, has the courage to say that in a public forum, how can we be silent? We need school teachers and coaches and students and truck drivers and doctors and nurses and clerks and farmers at every opportunity speaking up about the truth of God's word. This is a time to speak. Now the pivotal question is not, should we speak up? The real question is, how can we speak up in a way that doesn't alienate everybody and do more damage than good? I'd like to share several ways that we can stand firm for biblical absolutes and hopefully do it in the right spirit. Number one, be balanced. Avoid the extremes. On the one hand are the spineless appeasers who bend over backward to be politically correct and they just appear cowardly. On the other hand are the strident crusaders who continually rant against the culture and they appear hateful. Jesus instructed us to be the light of the world, not the lightning rod. And the Apostle Paul said, you stand firm in the faith. But he also said, as much as it is possible, you live at peace with everybody. So avoid the extreme of wimpish cowardice and hawkish militancy. And you make every effort to maintain that balance of speaking the truth in love. Number two, be discerning. Know when it's time to speak and when it's time to be silent. Know when it's time to fight and when it's time to be still. There are one issue Christians who want the preacher and the church leaders to be pounding the pulpit about some political cause every week. 
Proper health care for veterans, the appropriate display of the flag, standing at attention of the national anthem, the distribution of voter guides, the expansion of gambling, the display of the Ten Commandments. It goes on. You name the cause, and there are these over-eager soldiers urging you to take up their chosen banner every week. Now, there were times when Jesus Christ deliberately avoided conflict. And then there are other times when he threw down the gauntlet and challenged his opponents in public. For example, after he healed some people, he'd say, no, don't tell anybody. We're not ready for an insurrection here. Or he withdrew from the crowds and went apart by himself. Then there are other times when he deliberately just initiated the confrontation. He was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And the Pharisees were watching to see whether he'd heal on the Sabbath day. Well, that's not a life-threatening disease. He could have waited till the next day. But Jesus said to the man, you stand up in front of everybody. You stretch forth your hand. And he knew when he healed the man that he was initiating confrontation with his opponents. Leadership requires divine wisdom to know when to march forth into battle and when to remain peacefully in the camp. Now the Bible promises if you lack wisdom, you ask of God and he will give it to you liberally without finding fault. Thirdly, be biblical. Share the whole counsel of God, not just a part of it. The most effective way that preachers stay balanced when dealing with political issues is through expository preaching. If you're just preaching verse by verse through a book of the Bible, then when you come to a passage that deals with sexual immorality or a concern for the aliens, no one can legitimately accuse you of joining a, promoting a political party or riding a hobby horse. You're just preaching the whole counsel of God. I heard a preacher say, I just, I never preach on homosexuality. and I don't say anything about that. It's too volatile. Well, you're not preaching Romans 1 that talks about God gave them over to unnatural affection. Or some preachers say, I never say anything about the critical race theory. Boy, that's, that's too divisive. Well, you're not preaching through Galatians 3 that says in Christ there's no Jew nor Greek, no slave or free, no male nor female. We don't pit people against one another. And those of you who aren't preachers are often told when you get in a discussion, you're told don't bring up the Bible. We don't believe the Bible. It's not a part of this discussion. Of course Satan wants to shut down the Bible. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's our most powerful offensive weapon. When Satan tried to persuade Jesus to sin, Jesus kept quoting Scripture. It is written, it is written. Use the Bible regardless of how people feel about it. It is powerful. It's the source of truth. Hebrews 12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Use the scripture. Then fourthly, you be decisive. Communicate your position clearly and early. Back in the 70s when Roe versus Wade passed, most evangelical churches did a really good job of making their position about abortion very clear. They said right up front, look, we're a pro-life church. We believe that God is knitting together life in the womb. Now, if you had an abortion, we want to know God loves you. God can forgive you. But we want to know, in this church, we're going to stand for life. There was little ambiguity about that. And that clear, decisive stand combined with the advances in technology have been used by God to turn the national opinion in favor of life. We never thought that would happen. And we would do well to follow the same consistent pattern in the church. I think this church does a really good job of this. You communicate clearly and confidently. Here's where this church stands on these issues, whether it's treatment of aliens or divorce or cohabitation or gay marriage or the critical race theory. 
And most people appreciate clarity and courage, even though they may not totally agree. At least they know where you stand. Uh, there's a great quote by Pat Williams about leadership in the book, The Paradox of Power. And here's what, what uh, Pat Williams said. If you know everything there is about, to know about a situation, there's no decision to be made, just an obvious conclusion to be drawn. Leaders make decisions precisely because the best course of action is not obvious. You don't need leaders to point out the obvious. You need leaders to point the way through the confusion. Church leaders, church needs you. Early on, be decisive. Here's where we stand. Then, fifthly, be relevant. Intentionally relate biblical truth to current events. There are some occasions when a current event uh, arises and the scheduled study Scripture does not lend itself to that commentary. It may be a questionable police shooting or a Supreme Court decision on a moral issue. Has everybody buzzing? And wise leaders need to be perceptive enough to occasionally back away from the planned series of lessons and say, let's talk about this today. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. How many of you remember uh, Wayne Smith used to preach at the Southland Christian Church in Lexington? Wayne was a great friend of mine, one of the most compassionate, one of the funniest guys I've ever known. But he's also very strong in his stand on cultural issues. Never worried about where Wayne stood. He'd let you know. He came out against liquor by the drink in Fayette County. He came out against co-ed uh, co dorms at University of Kentucky. He came out about abortion on demand. You knew where he stood. Well, after Wayne retired, wasn't preaching anymore, the Supreme Court passed the legalization of gay marriage. Then the next day, the president lit up the White House in rainbow colors. And that really irritated Wayne bad. That the Supreme Court had gone against the Bible's definition of marriage and the president hijacked God's symbol of the rainbow. And he went to church wanting the preacher to say, here's what God's word has to say about this, wanting to be reinforced, wanting to feel united with other Christians who believe the same way. But the preacher that morning where he went to church didn't say a word about the Supreme Court's decision. And that made Wayne angrier than when he went. So he called me the next day and said, Bob, I went to church yesterday. I was so mad about the Supreme Court's decision and the preacher didn't say anything. So I have written a letter to the Lexington Herald leader about this issue telling him how I feel. And I want to read the letter to you. Well, he read the letter and the last paragraph read, if you're a preacher and you didn't say anything about this Sunday, you're a coward. And he said, Bob, I've, I've taken a lot of information for this letter out of one of your blogs, so I've signed both your name and my name to the letter. <laughs> I said, Wayne, well, a couple of things here. First of all, take out the last paragraph. If you've got a problem with that preacher, you go to him personally. Everybody knows who you're talking about. Don't do it in a letter of paper. In the second place, I've got enough trouble in Louisville. I don't need trouble in Lexington. And it, it dilutes it. You just put your name there. And, he did. and you know what? The Lexington Herald leader called Wayne and asked him to expand on it. And they printed his letter as an op-ed in, in the newspaper. But Fred Craddock once said, the preacher doesn't just speak to the church. The preacher speaks for the church. And the preacher sometimes says, this is what this church believes. Here's where we stand. 
And you know what? If you're beat down by the world's philosophy, and you get all this propaganda that instinctively, you know the Bible, you know that it's wrong, and you come to church on Sunday, and you're not reinforced, you feel cheated. You feel invalidated. You want to hear the word of the Lord on that subject. So it's good to be relevant and speak the truth. Those cultural issues. We've got two more. Sixty, be courageous. Be thick-skinned and expect some opposition. If you stand for God's truth, no matter how lovingly and tactfully you do it, you don't have to go looking for a fight. I'm going to tell you, the fight will come to you. Unbelievers will accuse you of being hateful, intolerant, bigoted. You can't avoid it. Somebody said, love sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Jesus warned, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. People will say to you, why can't you just be more loving like Jesus? Well, Jesus was full of grace and truth, but he also got crucified, you know? And when you're attacked, remember Jesus. He promised, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, if you're going to stand for truth and speak up, you've got to expect some criticism, some opposition. Hebrews says, you have not yet suffered to the point of shedding your blood. Toughen up. And the last challenge to you is be joyful. Preach the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love and we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Don't attack the world with a clenched fist and a scowl and a nasty tone. Don't get on Facebook or social media and spew out hatred in return. Don't think you've got to return evil with evil. Return evil with good. Let people know by your thoughtful words, by your gentle spirit, by your joyful countenance, that they are loved. And their spiritual rebellion breaks the heart of God. And it's amazing how strong you can stand if you just do it in the right spirit. I've got a son, Rusty, who preaches in Florida. Eleven years ago, he took this church uh, near Fort Myers and he called me several months later and said, Dad, I've discovered in our church we must have six, seven couples who are living together without marriage. Nobody's been saying anything. They're actively involved in the church. But I know the church is to be full of grace, but we're also to stand for truth. We're to be ecclesia, the people who are called out. So I know I've got to confront it, but I don't want to come across as a heavy, as a new preacher. I just don't know how to, how to deal with it. Well, several weeks later, he began preaching through the book of Colossians. And he came to that phrase in the book of Colossians that says, take off the old and put on the new. He said, Dad, this week so I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to say, take off the old standard of the world, which is living together without marriage, and put on the new standard of Jesus Christ, which is a lifelong commitment in marriage. Just so happened, as he was preparing that message, a, uh, a woman in the church called him and said, Pastor Rusty, my Boyfriend and I have been living together for several years. We know it's wrong. We know we need to get married. But he has recently lost his job, and we can't afford to get married. Rusty said, I'll tell you what. You get married. You do the right thing. I'll marry you for free. I'll see that you get the church building for free. And then he got a brilliant idea. He said, let me ask you something. 
would, would you be willing to get married this week at the end of my sermon? I'm preaching on this very subject, and I'd like to use that as an illustration of, I'll just say you're taking off the old and putting on the new. So would you be willing to get married at the end of my sermon? She said, would it still be for free? <laughs> yeah, it'd still be free. Well, he preached his sermon, and at the end of it, he called up the groom, had a prayer, and then they played here. Come, somebody had heard about it and bought her a new dress. Somebody else heard about it, bought some flowers and a cake, and a whole church rallied behind him. And as he came down the aisle, they were applauding, and they performed this wedding at the end of the ceremony. Now, you know on the way home, there's some young women nudging their live-in boyfriend saying, Hey, if they can do it, we can do it too. What I'm saying to you, be creative. Be loving. Be understanding. But stand firmly for the truth. Uh, in the book of Daniel, the fourth chapter, Daniel relates that King Nebuchadnezzar became so proud of his accomplishments that he re rejected God, trusted only in himself. And the Lord disciplined Nebuchadnezzar, causing him to lose his mind to the extent that he lived in the field among the animals. And he was consigned to eat grass like an oxen until the Bible says he came to understand that heaven rules. Now, since Nebuchadnezzar had behaved like an animal, the Bible says in Daniel 4.33, he was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven and his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And then the next verse says this. The story has a happy ending. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Maybe if we will acknowledge that heaven is ruling and we'll repent of our cowardice and our silence and we'll begin to speak up about truth, maybe our national sanity can be restored. For God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Only he can forgive your sins. Only he can grant you eternal life. Only he can give you an ultimate purpose for living. And if you're ready, you feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit in your heart today. When we sing, if you just walk forward and meet Terry up front, He'll help guide you as you make that decision for Christ and you join this church and standing for the truth of God. Thank you.